Let's take our Bibles at this time and turn together to Philippians in chapter 3. I remember preaching a series of sermons on the book of Philippians and striking how often the word and the concept of joy is brought out. And I would say it's all about joy in Jesus, whom Paul says is his life, and therefore that to die is gain. But here again, Philippians 3 reminds us of joy. So it begins, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And then there's this continuation. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice, there it is again, in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything in in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven." from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even 
to subdue all things to himself. Thus far we read from Philippians 3, the very word of God, the apostle directed initially to the Philippian believers, and now through the inspired scripture directed to us, Comstock Grand Rapidian believers. And at verse 20 is where we want to focus for a few moments this evening. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the next part, it will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things to himself, but especially the reference to our citizenship being in heaven. We want to call attention to that. Well, beloved, we all anticipate Tuesday, July 4, 2023, the year of our Lord. Celebration is July 4 in America, by Americans, and I suppose by many around the world, of the adoption of a declaration, which is a declaration by the signatories and the colonies represented by them of independence from what was the alleged tyranny of the British Empire, the monarchy of the king. And at this time in July 4, 1776, the the gauntlet was thrown down and it was declared that there had been tyranny and there was now a liberation proclaimed among the colonists and their leaders from this tyranny, a declaration of independence. In this beautiful document, the Declaration of Independence, and you ought to read that, it's, it's striking, There is the assertion that we are endowed with inalienable rights, the right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, among other things. And so there was reason to celebrate. There was trepidation. This was the beginning, officially, of the Revolutionary War, which would not end, really, till 1783. And then there would be the adoption of the Constitution and so on. But this declaration of independence was, was crucial. At this time, and actually ever since, and it's been growing, there was a doctrine that was an idea that was espoused and married and believed by many about this American revolution, its declaration of independence, its constitution, its very reason for being, and its, its way of thinking and its way of life. And the doctrine was called the doctrine of American exceptionalism. Big word to describe the fact that America is truly different. It's exceptional in all the world. And it came to be a a motive for America passing on its exceptional heritage and culture and democratic values and even capitalism to other nations who might be communistic, who might be socialistic, who might be oppressed by similar dictators than the king of the 18th century. And this American exceptionalism became, I say, the motive for a lot of uh, uh, discipling of the nations according to the doctrine of America. And later on, it became even the case that people were saying, 
this beginning of America as a Christian nation is especially the, doc, the, the idea that we should Christianize the world and pass on our values. And this people have seen as a, uh, an aspect of discipling the na- nations, even according to the Lord Jesus' great commission, go and disciple the nations. There is this American exceptionalism to which I want to speak at this time and to promote among you, to call among you from the Word of God to something higher than American exceptionalism. After all, as Christians set free by the Lord Jesus, there's something higher than the blessing, if we want to call it that, of being an American. And the Apostle brings this out in our text when he says that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship, our right as people is written down legally so that we are citizens of this thing called the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Paul reminds the Philippians, that they may glory in Jesus and not forget what he's all about as an apostle and what they are all about as disciples of the apostle and of Jesus, and that is to promote the glories of the gospel. And so I want us to be patriotic, to be sure, because we're citizens in a nation and we're called to submit to the authorities and to be thankful for what we have. Go shoot off the fireworks and have your cookouts and come together and and be thankful together for the things we have as Americans. But as a minister of the gospel, I feel called of God to remind us once again that there are enemies of the cross who even in the name of American exceptionalism would blur the lines between being American and patriotic that way, and being Christian and loyal to the church of Jesus Christ and the citizenship we have in heaven. Let us not blur the lines, but be distinct as the Bible is. We're in the world and thankful, thankful for our place in history and our place in the nations as Americans, but we're not of the world. We're of heaven and our citizenship is in heaven. And we wait eagerly for Jesus to come because we're all about in life and in death a life for him and out of him. So let's consider our citizenship in heaven and consider yourself called by the word here, beloved, as I am, to a Christian exceptionalism, a Christian distinctiveness. This would be being the light of the world and knowing, first of all, what the blessings of the kingdom are, what our exceptional um, calling is in distinction to every other calling, and, and finally, what all this means as we wrap things up in some practical words at the end of the sermon. But Paul here speaks of a citizenship which is in heaven. Now, it's striking that... He could have spoken of a citizenship which was in Rome. Rome was the greatest empire of the day. And there were many benefits of being a Roman citizen. And there was peace, the Pax Romanum. And there was the safety of the Roman Empire and and the armies. And there was this amalgamation of nations of all cultures, ethnicities, and religions that was tolerated. A union, a kind of a union 
Just like America is this melting pot, so the Roman Empire's genius was not to abolish every bit of uh, individuality of the the conquered nations, but to absorb them and to assimilate them as long as people did homage to Caesar, paid their taxes, and so on. Paul doesn't say anything of that. He speaks of a citizenship which is in heaven. And we have to be mindful of this emphasis of the apostle if we would have our joys in Jesus. Well, for example, he would speak of a righteousness of the kingdom of heaven, a righteousness that comes from heaven, something that makes one right with God, not just right according to Romans' laws, but right according to the law of God. There is this amazing gift of righteousness and and holiness, the setting free of a people in this citizenship in heaven so that they are set free to serve God. There's the freedom of the truth, and the truth that sets free as it is in Jesus. And there's this privilege of knowing God and all his benefits, his covenantal communion. That's what citizens of the kingdom of heaven have. This place in heaven has come down, so there's a heavenly, uh, heavenly identification of these people who are really foreigners to the world and pilgrims and strangers, and they don't belong here, but they do belong in heaven, and they do have this right to be there, and, and they're so blessed and outstandingly so that they're called, this, uh, they're called those as possessed of a citizenship, which reminds us that God's made us a country. He's made us a country, and a, and a country that doesn't have foundations, whose builder and maker is God, a heavenly country. And we are that country which is also a church, the body of Christ. We're united together as that people, as no citizenship, uh, citizenry ever could be united. United in the Holy Spirit and uniting, uh, united in the Word of God. Besides, among those citizens of heaven and in heaven, there is this love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts. There's this peace of God, and there is, while they're on earth, these people have this constitution called the Bible, in which is revealed the gospel of God, the will of God for our life with regard to God and to the neighbor. So all of these blessednesses of the kingdom of heaven, and we could, of course, point out the fact that there's this security that this blessedness of those whose citizenship is in heaven shall last, because Paul goes on to say that our citizenship is in heaven, and from that very place where God dwells in the elect saints, we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who's going to come and resurrect our bodies and and take us to heaven, body and soul, and there's going to be this great glorification and all will be well. Uh, What a future for those people whose nation is this nation under God, this citizenry of heaven. And so we could go on and on, and I just want to point out to you this, this is what the apostles citing this for. There's others, there's some who mind earthly things. And then he goes on to say, you know, don't, don't do that. Their end is destruction. And be mindful of the fact that we have something better than earthly things. 
We have something better than the best of the nations on the planet. We have something better than any money could buy. It's called a citizenship in heaven. It's called a king who is God. It's called an inheritance which is fellowship with God forever. It's called the church of Jesus Christ. And this points to the fact that this citizenship in heaven, which sounds impossible and sounds, yes, otherworldly, is by this one who was from the other world called heaven and even from the bosom of God, Jesus. Jesus is the reason for this citizenship in heaven. Not the fact that we are born with inalienable rights by virtue of our creation, but by the fact of Jesus and his grace, we are members of this citizenship, this country in heaven and the holy nation under God, the church of Jesus Christ, by his spirit. Paul, you see, or by his blood, let me start there. Paul, you see, glories in Jesus. He's all about speaking of Jesus. Chapter 1, to me to live as Christ. Because of that, he goes on to die as gain. Chapter 3, one of my favorite in the Bible, he speaks of his leaving everything behind, everything great, everything bad, every reputation he had for being a Pharisee and a keeper of the law, every, every activity he had of persecuting the church, he, he leaves it all behind. You see, he's going forward, he's on a race, and he says, I want to know Jesus, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings even, because he's worthy, my Lord is, he's my atoner, He's my sanctifier. He's my indweller. He's my all. He's my shepherd. He's my friend. He's my God. He's my savior. And I want to know his righteousness. And I want to be a faithful citizen of the kingdom that he makes. And I want to be conformed to his death. And if by any means I want to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Jesus is everything to Paul as he ought to be to us. The blood of Jesus is the establishment of this kingdom, the ground of the right that people have to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in him and in that realm of God's own kingdom. The Spirit is given to us. Otherwise, all the things of Jesus that happened long ago whose land we sometimes visit and where you get a taste of what it was like to be there and to walk where Jesus walked and, and to see perhaps maybe where he was born, maybe where he died. It's amazing. But it's all about him. And it's about this spirit that causes us to know this Jesus so that Jesus And his righteousness is applied to our account. And so the salvation outside and for us comes inside and and in us. You have that, beloved? This reality of God that we preach and that you know, doctrinally, you're right on. But this reality of God within, that's a spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is truth that is brought to your attention not only, but something you live by. There is comfort. There is joy. There is a holy way that's set before you. And then by the Spirit, there is a desire to go on that way so that you can please God. Is that how close God has come to you? So that he means everything to you? Well, the word of God is brought by the Spirit. Ministers of the word bring the word of God. And God is able to save the most hardest of hearts and the most died in the wool of sinners because he's this God in Jesus who's able even to conform our bodies at the resurrection day to his glorious body because he's the one who works all things according to his will and is able to subdue everything. He's king. And you were thinking it's impossible for this Jesus to get to me because I resist him at every turn. Impossible because, well, I've sinned and I've sinned again. And pastor, you don't know my heart. You don't know that I'm a hypocrite or I'm thinking I'm one. But what I'm bringing to you, beloved, is the gospel that God knows and God can break the hardest of hearts. Don't fight him. Yield to him. Give up the fighting. Stop the resisting. Stop the grieving. Stop the standing on your own pulpit and preaching to God, I just don't like the way you made me. And believe that God is able to save even you and to throw you down from your pulpit so you finally get this thing called Christianity and lo and behold, it's gotten to you. Now, a second point is that we are to mind the heavenly things of the the blessed citizenship we have. And Paul is is setting the Philippians on a, on a path of thinking. There's people who don't have the same mind, and right away in Philippians 3, he brought them up. They were those who wanted to add to the cross of Jesus, and they wanted to add circumcision to the gospel. The Pharisees, the legalists, he says, away with them. They're dogs. They're workers who are evil, They would mutilate themselves and you and mutilate and butcher the gospel. Because the apostle, you see, he's just for Jesus, just for grace, and just for a righteousness that comes from him and which we don't earn. Anyone else, you'll have none of. There are others, and he says, here's his example, I count everything like a pile of dung, everything but rubbish compared to Jesus. Now you follow my example, he says. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, verse 14, and therefore let us as many as are mature have this mind. What mind? The thinking of the apostle. The decided determination based on the thinking that if Jesus is whom the word of God says he is and he is, then I will be his 
And I will mind the things of heaven and not the things of earth. So there's some who mind religious things of the earth, adding to grace and seeking to earn something with God. That's an earthly thing, an earthly religious thing. There's others who mind earthly things, and this is about their belly and not just their religion. Their God is their belly, their end is destruction, their enemies of the cross of Christ, and they're enemies of this thing called holy religion, and they just are in it for the money or anything else they can fill their coffers with or their belly with, any booze, any drugs, anything that makes it for fun in this earth that satisfies the palate and the avarice and the ambition, but is displeasing to God. They mind earthly things. So with one stroke... In these verses, Paul is saying, have a way with the earthly things. Have a way with them. Do away with them. As the hymnist would say, rise up, O men of God. Have done with lesser things than the gospel. Do you believe that God is in heaven and that he sent his son from heaven, and that when he saves you, he takes you to heaven, so that your whole world is above this world, then mind that. And change your life accordingly. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That would mean not thinking over much about Jewish things. The Apostle Paul is doing something that's landmark, first century, a Jew saying that's not the favored nation. That's what Paul's saying here. Amazing. Landmark. We say that today to those who might think that the Jews are this favored nation still. They're not. The people of God are from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Peter says this is the holy nation of those who believe and those who stumble at this word of Christ who, who gathers into one from every nation, tribe, and tongue. They don't have it right. The cosmic value of Christianity, the scope of the gospel. Now God says, I want to show that I love all kinds of people. Doesn't matter their pedigree. Only matters that I love them. So have done with lesser things like a Jewish nation. And thank God for the Reformed faith that is set forth clearly in its creeds, in different creeds, in different ways, that the Christian religion is not about the reestablishment of the Jews sometime, maybe in the future, as a special nation for which Jesus is going to come. And he's going to set them in distinction from the church in order to fulfill all the promises of the Old Testament. Beloved, the promises of the Old Testament are this. Yea and amen in Jesus. Promises of God to all of the elect and those who will believe they receive these promises by his grace. And doesn't matter the nation that they were, they become the nation, 
and their citizenship is made to be in heaven. So, nor does it matter to Paul, according to we, what we would say if he lived today, nor does it really matter, I'll say it this way, if you're an American, and I'm not here trying to destroy patriotism, I am not, but I'm trying to promote the Christian exceptionalism. Thus I am, unashamedly. We can be too concerned for and too bent on seeking to promote a kind of Christian society here in America. This is a danger. It's a danger. Because America is not a Christian nation with a Christian Bible, and it doesn't proclaim the name of Jesus. Then how can you have anything like a Christian nation according to as the Bible defines Christian? Christian nation is the church of Jesus Christ. We're not the nation of Jesus Christ as Americans. And even all your conservative friends would would agree and There may be Jewish conservative friends and secular humanist conservative friends and Ben Franklin conservative humanist friends who who don't want Jesus in this thing called the American experiment. And they don't see that as the American exceptionalism. It's just about its, its government and its liberties and its being a place where remarkably... Really, in all the world, and this was what is, was exceptional from the get-go in America, we start out free here. And there's no religious persecution allowed here. There's no favoritism of, of one religion in the, in the national government and so on. That's a, that was a great beginning for liberty and for liberty for the Christian faith. But for all that, beloved These are not Christian things themselves. And I think I'm incensed all the more about this because I read a sermon by a fellow who preached on last year's July 4. And he speaks of America as this great Christian nation. And he says there's five aspects of the Spirit of God at work in America. And so he says there is the spirit of life, and thus we value life and life of the unborn, to be sure. But he calls this the spirit of God. And we have this liberty, and we have this pursuit of happiness. And he goes on to speak of independence and freedom in distinction from liberty as two of the aspects of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, here's the problem with that. The man is throwing around spiritual things and even the Holy Spirit. But there's no mention of this Holy Spirit, evidently, of American, uh, of American, American society, who is the Holy Spirit of Christ. And, of course, there cannot be mention of the Spirit of America, who is apparently the Spirit of God as the Spirit of Christ, because the liberty that we have as Americans, is not the liberty from the truth which Jesus says in John 8 shall make you free. It's not the liberty of being sons of God 
It's the liberty of being ordinary citizens. And you are free in America to be homosexual. That's not holy liberty. That's sin. That's bondage. And you call American liberty Christian? Hardly. And you call the right of women to do with their bodies what they want and kill off the unborn? That's not Christian liberty. That's evil. Beloved, for all of the liberties that we have, you've got to be careful what you pray for. Because Jesus reminds us that there comes a time, and there often is in the course of Christian history, when it will not be a blessing to be free. Let me explain that. I heard another sermon recently about a guy in the Middle East, converted Muslim, talks about all the persecution they had, thrown in prison. This guy's on fire for the Lord. Family members are still in prison. And here's what he said, and he was asked by an interviewer, what do, you, what do you think we Americans ought to pray for? Here's what he said. You pray for persecution. Pray for persecution. For all you're praying for liberty and you're thankful, pray for persecution. Why, he said. Because that's the way God makes us alive. That's a gift. That's when we really know Blessed are those who are the poor of spirit, those who mourn, those who pursue righteousness and are persecuted for it. These are the principal blessings of the kingdom of God, according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Further, Mark chapter 10 and verse 30. Go back to verse 29. Jesus answered and says, Assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Here's the goodies you get for being a Christian. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Now stop right there. I have received that in receiving you. And you have received that. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands in the family of God at Sovereign Grace Church. In the family of God of those who are of other churches but who are of like mind in Jesus, we receive all of that. It's amazing, the blessing of the church. And you think you had to leave everything else and this former life and you'll have nothing. Oh, I tell you. And out of my experience, I could tell you this. The family of God is a great and blessed thing. You are. But then this. You'll receive all these things a hundredfold now even with persecutions. Mark 10.30. This is what accompanies Christianity. Not life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those rights are taken away from us to be Christians. It will be increasingly. For the apostle reminds us that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And it's given to believe not only, but also to suffer for Jesus' sake. And Paul, his ardent prayer, his longing, you can just see he's dying for this 
is to be made conformable to the sufferings of Jesus Christ. He will leave everything that Jesus might be everything to him. And it's not about blessed bliss in this life. It's about knowing Jesus. That's everything to him. And you? So, yeah, there's the balance, isn't it? In the world, but not of it. Thankful for what we have now. And while we have liberty, thankful for the liberty to preach the gospel. Time will come. They may shut the doors. Laws are on the books in the process of being enforced, formulated and enforced, of hate crimes. I'd be arrested for some of the things I said in this sermon. Be mindful of this. Be mindful of this. Please be mindful of this. This is our bond. This is our joy. To know something of the cross. That's it. Be mindful of that in the church of Jesus Christ. Hear the preaching of the gospel, beloved be committed to that. Be careful with your preachers. Let them preach freely, even if it hurts. And thank them once in a while for stepping on your toes, redirecting your paths, and leading you to Christ. We would be established in the calling, then, to be Christian exceptionalists. This is the last point here. We are those who have a great commission, and the great commission, you know, is go into all the world, disciple the nations. Reach the gospel, disciple the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, in the Holy Ghost, and not in the name of George Washington. In the name of the Trinity. That's it. Not baptizing them at the edge of the sword, or immersing them in the new doctrine of capitalism or democracy or whatever, but in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that unheard of name that now is revealed in these latter days. That's all we have, that name. That's all we have. That's the greatest thing to have, that name. That's the greatest calling that describes our significance as the church in the world, as American, as Slovenian, as Russian, as Dutch, as Italian, as German, whatever. Jesus now defines us, identifies us, blesses us. And we will go to the end of the world so that from sea to signing sea, not only, but from one world's end to the next, God's grace will be known. Only one other thing. 
But the fireworks begin. Amen. Our Father in heaven, you bless us, we pray, the knowledge of you. May we be exceptional Christians. Oh, we know we we fall far short. The fire has all but gone out of our zeal. We lose our first love every day, it seems. More committed to earthly things than heavenly. Have pity upon us, Lord, empower us, revive this nation called the church once again. And help us to be this people that knows its calling, knows its blessedness, and knows its future. Wrapped up in the coming of the Son of God, a certain future. And as we go into the world, Father, we pray, may we understand the promise and take it to heart. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. And every last one of the apple of your eye shall be saved. Lord, bless this church. Everyone be mindful of his and her calling. No matter what it is, it's a calling to serve you, to celebrate you. Oh, yes, and to be outstanding citizens in this world of the God who's above this world, yet has come into it and is coming soon to to take us home. Hear our prayers for comfort, for peace. And Lord, we pray that you would be near to us, guide us as the persecution ramps up and evil men wax more wicked in these latter days. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.